9 to 5 work world is something I've never really had to deal with. The closest I got to it was when I was an intern at my father's dental office in high school. Since I started my own business with Wix basically immediately after. So whenever I meet someone who did the actual traditional 9 to 5 for years before not only realizing that they were completely unhappy, but actually throwing away it all to pursue finding happiness, I'm always impressed. Our guest for this episode, Cody Langlois, did just that, and a lot more. Funny enough, we met over a year ago on the set of a film where Cody played the main character and I was brought in as a guest star. Our sarcasm crossed paths along with our nerdiness and we became quick friends. He's a modest guy and you would never know it in person. But he has an undergraduate degree and two graduate degrees. He was also a civil engineer, making six figures before the age of 25. A few years ago, he gave up everything, including his safety net, to pursue a life where he could be happy, not just safe. In this episode of Spill the Matcha, we chat about modern masculinity and the trap it sets, escaping the nine to five job cycle, leaving everything behind and moving across country, and more. It's no surprise that millions of Americans trust AAA for more than just roadside assistance. With 24-hour access, on-the-spot AAA battery installation, and complete insurance coverage, we're right there with you every step of the way. Join AAA today. Welcome to the Spill the Matcha podcast, a Capitor Studios original series. I believe we often feel inspired to reach our goals and become our best self, the way we always have, through learning from a collective of experiences shared by fellow people. I will ask guests from wellness experts, thought leaders, best-selling authors, and career coaches to experience luminaries, to spill the matcha, to lay out bare their truths, advice, and opinions in an effort to bring to light informative knowledge on a variety of different topics, meant to help further you along the path to achieving what you want in life. Knowledge is power. Together, we are stronger. Your journey continues now, with us along for the ride. Fresh off appearing on the Steve Harvey Show, Cody Langlois, welcome. Hey, RJ. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm honored that, you know, literally you just appeared on Steve Harvey and it was hilarious and epic and awesome and meaningful. And you're here now. Yeah, it was a great time. Um, Steve, uh, actually, shaking Steve Harvey's hand has always been on my bucket list and I thought it was one of those items I'd never thought to do. And I was able to do it not just once, but I shook his hand three times and he patted me and he said, Cody, it was nice to meet you. And it was a pleasure learning your story. And I can, it was I can, awesome. I can tell how much you loved it from just that. Honestly, it was that collective it memory. Honestly, of, was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you were hilarious. You guys should check out the clip of Cody on Steve Harvey. That's for sure. So on this episode, you know, I wanted you to give a brief summary to start with, and we have some really cool philosophical, emotional discussions we're going to talk about that are going to be inspiring. Because I, I know you, you're you're an awesome guy. 
Your story is definitely something that I think a lot of people can learn a lot from. So tell us about you. Just a bunch of dudes talking about our emotions. It's going to be fun. Um, so I'm Cody. I am 29 years old. I am 6'5", 230 pounds. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in environmental science with a minor in biology from Loyola University, Chicago. And I have a bachelor's and master's in civil engineering that I got from Arizona State in a total of three years. I have, um, when I was in college, I worked about 60 hours a week at a variety of jobs, one of them including uh, building, designing, and making a device that passively sucks CO2 out of the atmosphere and stores it so you can put it underground. In college, I got a $250,000 grant in order to accomplish that and continue on. Um, coming straight from that, um, I had to graduate early because my mother lost her home. Went and moved back to Chicago within three days. Uh, I had a new job working as a roadway engineer, in which case I busted my ass to make sure that my mother could have a home. I was working 110 hours a week. I did that for about two years. Then going on from that, I moved on to California. And I now work as a personal assistant to three CEOs that own four different companies, all of which are extremely different, which provides me with an ungodly amount of unnecessary entrepreneurial experience that I'm here to alleviate and make an influence on all the young and beautiful minds of this great nation. Okay. Okay. That was impressive. So I did not know that about your mother's house. Yeah. Um, basically, I got a phone call one day that essentially was like, Cody, I don't know what to do. They're taking in the home. She essentially said that the bank was foreclosing on it. We had four months to move out. I was supposed to graduate. Um, I was graduating with a master or with a bachelor's. It was a four plus one program where essentially you do... Um, four years of a bachelor's in your fourth year you mix up your master's and then you do an extra so it's supposed to be a total of five years I essentially did it in three because as soon as I found that information out I went to my administrators and told them like hey I need to load it up and get all my coursework done because I need to leave otherwise I'm just going to graduate or I'm just leaving without a graduation he looked me in the eye and said we will do it but you're not going to be able to do it hmm. like, but you did I did so moved back home, uh, essentially had to start a new job, um, paid my mom a lot of money and helped her essentially find a new condo after we were able to get her a home. Ever since that, um, I put myself in a lot of extra student loan debt and credit card debt, but uh, which caused me to move on and start essentially working two jobs at the same time. Uh, yeah, I was at over, or right around 110 hours a week. I did that for years, and then... It's crazy. Yeah, it was it was bad. I was getting about four hours of sleep a night. Um, I was falling asleep behind the wheel. Is this right before you moved here? Yeah. Oh, I, I get it now, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I was 70 pounds skinnier than I am right now. 70 pounds. Like... Was that just because of stress or because you didn't have time to eat? Or mm, it was stress, didn't have time to eat, didn't have time to work out. I didn't have time to sleep. I didn't have time to drink water. How did you, how did you recover from that? 
I when I um, when I got this uh, entrepreneurship position, I essentially slept for four months. I worked probably 10, 12 hours a day and I slept and ate the other 10 and 12 and just basically stayed in bed. It was super unhealthy and deteriorating. I was pale beyond all belief. My hair started coming out. It was bad. So when you were sleeping, when you worked a new job, sleeping wasn't recovering, you weren't recovering from it or you were during that period? When I was working the ridiculous job? No, afterwards. So when you went to the current job? Yeah. When I, I essentially was just sleeping just to and no recover. longer be sick and recover. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But your mental health, I mean, that's something I want to discuss because I know we've talked about it before. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons why you moved here. Yes. And then your experience and, and definitely going to discuss that further along in the episode. Um, you know, I think it's, it's interesting to hear about your mom's situation. Mm-hmm. What, is your, what does your mom do? My mom has been a bank teller for at least 30 years. Did she lose her, lose her job? Or? Nope. Um, essentially, the area that she was living in, they increased, um, they just kept increasing the taxes more and more. And um, essentially, okay. she just, it got lost underneath her. And she yeah. tried and she started burning through savings. And it got to the point where she was like, I. I mean, they're going to lose all my savings and still not keep the house or the house is gone. Yeah. How is she doing now? She's doing great. Um, we found her an awesome condo. Um, it's close to her family. It's close to her sisters. It's close to her mom. She, uh, she definitely spent a little bit of time cause she felt it was hard on her too. Like she basically worked way too much. She grew, uh, raised four kids on her own. My dad was not around and it was, it felt like a big loss to her. Like her house was like, it was her home. It was the first like real home she had ever known. So she felt kind of like she had failed. But you know, once we started all coming around more, we started, you know, making sure she knew that like we still loved her. It wasn't about the house. It was mm-hmm. about her. We made it more, you know, Christmas, you know, um, different birthdays, stuff like that. Um, it really, really started coming around. The huge thing that she was super excited about, um, was, um, not actually needing to talk to my father anymore because up until that point she had kept asking him for child support payments and because she moved to this new um location she didn't need it anymore so Uh, she didn't have to talk to him anymore. that's crazy though he didn't i mean i it's interesting because i have a similar experience but he so did he ever pay child support he did he was usually pretty good about it um if he like skipped months he would like pay them back but it's a lot different going day to day and getting paid every six months than every month. Yeah. And especially when you have four kids that you're trying to like feed and support and yeah. bills and all of that, it's just, it gets stressful and I can't imagine the amount of weight you put on her. Yeah, no, definitely. That, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible that she was able to last as long as she did. And yeah. it's good that she raised kids like yourself and your siblings to, to get to the point where you guys are now. Yeah, I mean, she's an angel, and I love her, and God bless. Okay, so I think this is also a great transition. Perfect. Um, to our first commercial break? No, not to our commercial <laughs> break yet. <laughs> um, I mean, if you want to leave, dude, go. Jeez. Yeah, my God. Where's the whiskey? Uh, where's the whiskey? <laughs> so um, this episode is going to be more focused on learning through experience. Like, I love what we've already talked about so far. Um, let's start this off with, with the first opinion piece. So 
we spoke about the shame. We spoke about the shame and stigma regarding being a quote unquote nerd for some people. Mm-hmm. Let's discuss why this exists, where it comes from. Why, why do people feel this way? I think you have a relative connection to this. Oh, nerds are my people. Um, I was in band from fifth grade through senior year of high school. I was section leader of the year in marching band. Thank you very much for that credential. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am actually missing a game of Dungeons and Dragons tonight. I have three superhero tattoos. I am... I've... Skipped so many parties to study and to watch nerd <laughs> things. Um, I saw Avengers uh, Endgame on opening night, and I cried four times like an <laughs> Did adult. You really? I, and I didn't cry. I bawled my eyes out. At what part? At what? Have you not seen it? <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. I don't think I bawled my eyes. I mean, I, I, I tear up easily in films, but... I think the cheeseburger part, the sacrifice part, the Mr. Stark part, which all of my nerds out there know exactly which parts I'm talking no, about. No, I think, I think the, I mean, I'm in there too, but I think the part that I probably teared up at was obviously his death. Yeah. Which I ruined, so sorry for that. If you haven't no, seen it. No, it's literally and made a billion, like, it's made yeah. like a million dollars, or a billion dollars. <clears throat> like, you, everybody should have seen it by now. Yeah. So, I mean, no, I, I definitely get what you're saying. I, yeah, that's, okay. Yeah. Okay. But you, you haven't always felt, from what I remember you saying at some points, uh, I guess comfortable being in there? No, or? not even slightly. So I have always tried to hide it and always tried to be very, very closed off and quiet about it. Um, I have a lot of things in my past where people have looked at me funny. Um, so I'm not what a normal nerd looks like. I think you would say, like I'm yeah. a relic. Yeah. <laughs> so like, what, describe, let's describe you really quick. So you have well the mustache part. I mean that's well that's for charity. That's we'll ignore take. the mustache right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean you're like what? What did you say? You're two hundred. Yeah, I'm six five. I'm two hundred and thirty pounds. I've had a muscle basically. Um, I've done workout competitions. Um, I was in. I mean, I've played baseball, football, volleyball, wrestled done pretty much every sport that's possible I've been relatively fit my entire life but the problem is is that there's such a stigma and such a distinction of what should be together and what shouldn't be together and I it's such a combination of why can't I like going outside and playing sports but also like sitting inside for five hours and playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends. So it's funny because in high school, I would call that being like a jerd. Because I had like a name for it, like a jock nerd. So I'd call that jerd. Cause I, like, I've never heard that before. That's fantastic. I mean, no, <laughs> no one, I mean, no one said it but me, but it was like, oh. you know, and, I, I, and what's funny is actually, I wouldn't say that to my jock friends, but I would say that to my nerd friends. And that's, I mean, a hundred percent because like, there's there's more I felt like there's more judgment from like the jock culture the jock you know the athletic sporty not sporty but like the sports you know culture yeah um it's true it's it's very interesting how it's I think it depends how deep in you go because I was also like in high school I had like a I had a 13 inch mohawk and I wore um 
plaid pants with like zippers and stuff. I wore really overly tight t-shirts. Really? Like I was super punk rock. And it was always very interesting because the reason that I stopped dressing like that is because I found that when I stopped dressing like that, the people who do dress like that stopped talking to me. And it was very much a, if you're going to be us, you have to dress like us and you have to act like us and you have to ignore everybody else. And it's the same thing with the, like, with like the heavy jock guys. It's like, if you're going to talk about cars and girls and sports, those are the only things you're allowed to talk about. And like, I don't, I can't, I can't, I actually, that's not true. Cause honestly, I think a lot of the nerds and stuff like that, I just haven't had that same reaction. And I don't know if it's not like being head jock or being head like punk head or doing whatever <laughs> yeah. is like, it is a hierarchy. Yeah. You don't win points for being the nerdiest nerd. No. Yeah. I mean, definitely not. I mean, even I think, you know, cause you went to public school, right? Oh yeah. yeah. I went to public school. So I think in boarding school, it was probably slightly different, especially not, not, not necessarily just because it was boarding school, okay. but I think because, um, of the population, mm-hmm. because we only had like, let's say like 450 students in the whole school. Yeah. In the whole school. I had more than that in my class. That's why, that's why, that's where I think the difference probably came because I mean, aside, aside from, uh, we had a lot of international students, like <clears throat> I'd probably say like 60% of our students were international, like China, Korea, Japan, mostly. And so you had a bunch of what quote unquote nerds again, because like mm-hmm. they came here with the culture of studying. Yeah. Right. So all they did, like my roommate sophomore year, all he did was study. I had to beg him to like take a break and relax and enjoy life because he was constantly studying. But um, I think that nerd, that nerd culture, so I was always split between the two because I spoke Mandarin, mm-hmm. Japanese and Chinese. So I would go and like hang out with these, well, quote unquote, again, nerds. Yeah. And then I would go off, play soccer, tennis, whatever. And I wasn't, even, I was obviously wasn't a football player. So I wasn't in the main head sport. Because yeah. even within sport, there's like sports, there's a hierarchy in America. I mean, there is everywhere. Soccer is like the top one everywhere. Yeah. But then you come here and it's like, okay, well. And soccer means if you're into soccer, you're like, I don't know, almost like an outcast in this country. Oh, I, well, I think it's, I think it's gotten better. I think more yeah. people are playing soccer, but it's still like the fourth most popular sport. I mean, oh. there's football, basketball, baseball. I don't know what order necessarily, but I think football's first. Football's <clears> first. <throat> well, it depends if you're basing it on popularity, viewership, or True. money. True. Um, I mean, but those are definitely the top three. Yeah, for sure. And then tennis and soccer, my two sports are, I think soccer's probably right after yeah. that. But other than that, like, you know, there's a hierarchy in that. And it's interesting because in my school, because we had so few people, all of those people sat together. So it wasn't like we had this thousand students and they're diverse and there were different tables for each sport. It was like we had one giant table for all the main sports people who were good at sports, not rec. And then you had like an entire area, half the dining hall was nerds because there were basically all the the Asian students who weren't necessarily really good at sports. Mm. I wonder how the hierarchy system was for the nerds. Like, if it was half, and then there's like the people closest to like the garbage cans are like the lowest. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't have. We didn't have like. I wouldn't say we had like an established hierarchy system. Like that yeah. subconsciously happens. I think it was more so like you had interesting because you just like your clicks. Well, yeah, you, yeah, you mentioned like whatever. you mentioned. Well, within within the clicks, there's always like the the really nerdy people who watch anime ver- or geeky. So I guess that's geeky to me, which is more like not academic based. Geek yeah. is like just. Um, anime yeah. and Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're not necessarily really smart. 
it can be a variety or whatever, you know. Then you have the nerds who are smart, but usually also are geeks. Yeah. But I think for us, it was like you had the weird kids, and those included, and it, not necessarily meaning they were actually weird, but what people clumped them together, which was like you had fat kids who like were antisocial because they were constantly bullied. You had uh-huh. the kids who would wear exactly what you were saying you wore, but weren't like tall. So Mm -hmm. they were also bullied. You had, I mean, even the tall ones, you had the kids who, I remember this one kid in high school who was a huge nerd, Mm -hmm. but was dating like a 14 year old. And he was like 17, 18. And I mean, he got, you know, tons of of crap for that. Oh yeah. What was it like in public school though? Like comparatively? So in public school, it's almost too big for like, you don't know, like I didn't know everybody in my class. So it's almost too big to where you like, you get lost in it, which is a godsend because sometimes when you want to be seen the best thing to do is to be unseen and just kind of like go behind the go behind like the curtain and kind of just like make yourself invisible but still being present and still existing and it's a very interesting counteractive um, mindset because you're like okay I want to go I want to try to like like there is no most popular kid because there's literally thousands of you like you can't be the most popular because there are always going to be some people that literally have no idea who you are. Um, yeah, they're not going to. They're not going to literally know each other. The clicks yeah. themselves don't know each other. Yeah. Yeah, but it gets really interesting, especially when you start approaching the job field, because those clicks still exist, and you need to kind of be willing to play the game a little bit. Like, you need to be able to hang out with the bros. Oh, you definitely. Need to be, oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> bros, no, 100%. Are, bros have been in charge for way too long. Well, I mean, that's interesting, though, because in my industry, though, like in tech startup world mm-hmm. and in publishing, both of my industries, bros aren't in charge. I mean, yeah, yeah. you have, like, you have a periodic, like, like I remember I just, a friend of mine, she has a company, um, a startup, and she, she, she was a lax girl back in college, okay. for example, right? Nice. So she was sports-related, very social, yeah. like, you know, partier. And then most of the people... Lax is lacrosse for yes. all you non-sports people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say probably, like, seven out of ten founders were not huge nerds if they're under the age of, like, 30. And oh, yeah, for sure. And I noticed that in tech specifically, if they were over like 35 or so, they probably did actually play sports. And one of the companies, the loudest companies that I worked like near in the co-working space uh, was, I don't want to actually say their name, but mm-hmm. they were super obnoxious and all they would hire was bros, like other bros. Yep. So being a bro myself, I understand that, but I like kind of grew out of the yeah. the loud party s culture, you know. No, it's for sure, and that's I mean that's why on a bunch of jobs and stuff they ask you what fret you're in, what sorority you're in, stuff like that. But uh, there's even I mean in the tech community, there's also like okay, like you know, did you play Dota? Did you do this? Like they like almost want to see, which make honestly I do kind of get it because. You're with these people 8, 10, 12 hours a day. You want to have somebody you can hang out with and talk to and that's not going to drive you absolutely insane. But it's also a, okay, so let's diversify this. But how are we diversifying it? Are we diversifying it between, you know, race, gender, or is it like, you know, race, gender, religion, sexuality, all that good stuff? Or is it also between the different subclasses almost? Well, subconsciously, I think what we're talking about too is going to be like you like the clicks, yeah. right? So how did they even happen? I mean, from my from my experience, like my dining hall, 
you literally could look at the, the dining hall, right? You have the gigantic clique itself was half the dining hall was Asian, like from Asia. Yeah. And the other half of the dining hall was non-Asians from Asia. So have you ever been into to a country where you don't speak the language? Have I been to a country? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, not Do you notice that like when you find other people that you speak the language, you automatically are just like, okay, we're friends now. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a, like, uh, so I went, like I studied abroad a couple of times and every single time it's just like, I don't care if I hate your guts, you and me are friends. Yeah. Because just that even slightest, like you have one thing in common yeah. and it just so happens that you both happen to net, like natively speak the same language. And language is, I mean, language is the easiest thing to start forming connection with. Yeah. So, I mean, I had, and, that, and that's what it was too. It was like literally, like I said, you had the, but what's interesting though, is when you dive into like beyond those two macro um, categories, mm-hmm. you would see like, okay, on the Asian side of our dining hall, you would see a table for Japanese. You would see a table separating Japanese with Taiwanese and Chinese and mm-hmm. then um, Korean as well too. And then on the American side, rather than like a ethnicity based clique, you would mostly see a like, uh, what would you call it? Like nerds, um, jocks, you'd see yeah. the fat kids, you'd see like yeah. the super geeky kids, the fencing kids, yeah. like these non-ethnicity related But ones. you had fencing kids? Yeah, we had fencing kids. You fucking nerd. <laughs> we had fencing. We had fencing kids, literally. And and oh you know what's God. funny though okay. is I did I did fencing one year, not in high school though. I did fencing in middle school, which is also boarding school. And I did it because I got well, you, <laughs> I got kicked out of basketball, not kicked out, but I couldn't do it because of this whole long story. But I basically I couldn't do it, so I wanted to do varsity varsity sport. I was like, oh, if you know what, fencing is going to be easy because I'm athletic, and all the kids I see doing fencing are not athletic and they're good at it. Yeah. So okay. And I mean, I'm not going to say that's true, but I'm just going to make facial expressions to you. <laughs> okay. But acknowledged. Yeah. But I mean, it was really fun, honestly. Like, and I, I, I'm now as an adult, I'm, I'm like prideful. And actually, even, even when I was younger in high school, after I did it, cause I never did it again, I still defended those kids. Cause I was like, you know what? People make fun of them, but I was like, actually fencing is fun at the risk of, of yeah. the hierarchy of the point system that we're talking about. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. And that's what's kind of cool about, I guess when you look at your, like if you look, if you were to say in a business sense, it's diversifying your portfolio. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, so you did fencing, but you didn't just do fencing. No, that's not true. It's 2019. Definitely. Like you can do a lot of different things. And then you see the people that get stuck in it and they're just like, no, like this is the way we've always done it. This is the way you have to do it. And you're like, like you look them in the eye and just said, no, there are other ways around it. And what's fascinating is that, like, I've been fired over that for sure. But the guy who fired me was out of business in two years. Mm. And there are certain people that look at you, like, and, but I've also been specifically hired because of reasons where people are like, no, like, I want you to tell me I'm wrong. I want you to think of things that I don't think of. Yeah. And to see different answers that I don't see. So do you, did you like those bosses more? Like generally, I wouldn't say I liked them more because we are like we argued a lot. It was a lot of back and forth banter, whatever. But I respected them more mm-hmm. because the things that they said, it was like, oh, like that makes sense, or oh, like I didn't know that. It was very like I learned more from them for sure. And it's also the aspect of like, like you pay all this money, you go to college for years. And then you go into a job force where people look at you and say, okay, this is the same way we've always done it. This is the way we're going to do it. We're going to train you how to do it. 
And then you look at them and go, then why am I $100,000 in debt for a job where I could literally walk down here, you would have told me what to do, and now I do that for the next 40 years, have a shitty 401k, decent health insurance, a wife that's unhappy, kids that are ungrateful, and a life that I'm not proud of. Yeah. Like, I could have done that, and now I have to add an extra $100,000 worth of debt on top of it because you told me I had to have a wife, three kids, two dogs, a picket fence, and a house by the time I'm 24. No. And that's a societal standard that I think we need to we need to work on, we need to upgrade for the modern time. I feel like, I mean, we still do things based on what people dreamed about and, and wanted their kids to do in the 60s and the 70s. So basically, when Nixon uh, created Sally Mae back in the 70s, if I'm not mistaken, he allowed it, he made it easier for people to go to college, more affordable to a certain degree. And I think since that time period, we really have not changed like what people's goals are in a sense. I mean, even occupationally, like we're still like, I, like I was saying for minorities, it's kind of like, it was always like, okay, be a doctor, be a lawyer. Like whether you're, I think you're Asian or black, I think it was very similar. Those are the two things to go for being, you know, a doctor, lawyer. Um, and in general, for most people, it was get your degree. Then at the time, probably by then, it was just like, get your bachelor's and then go get that great job. Then it eventually became get your bachelor's and get your master's, get that great job then get your bachelor's, your master's, and your PhD, and get that great job. But it's like 30 years, 40 years, 50 years later, uh, the the landscape has changed. Jobs, certain jobs back then that were huge pairs are not anymore. Um, there are more jobs, you know, internationally that are available, nationally, etc. I mean, it's just the game has changed, and yet we really haven't updated what the American dream stereotype is. Um, I mean, you said white picket fence wife that's not happy with you that you're unhappy with your job all that kind of stuff i mean we we still have the same system of like just hopping into college and immediately having to decide within the year or two what you want to do for the rest of your life basically if you want to make move on if you want to make money yeah and so what's crazy and what was such a mental health switch for me is because i was online for that like i was literally sitting on a couch on my birthday and I was sitting there and I was thinking about it. I was, I had, it was 9 PM. I had to go to bed cause I'd wake up at five to go to work. I was on track to be a project manager at a high end construction, um, contracting firm. I had the degree. I could have gotten a house within a year. There was a girl that I was seeing that we were ready to have kids, ready to get married. Wow. And I was sitting there and I prayed to God. I, I, swear to, I swear to God. I prayed to God. I was like, please, God, get me out of this. I'm so unhappy. I am so incredibly unhappy. I don't like how I look. I don't like how I feel. I don't like the relationship that I'm in. I don't like how she makes me feel. I don't like having to lie about saying that I'm happy and that I'm grateful for this life. And I had, I mean, I have three degrees at this point and it was literally like, I, there's no possible way that I worked this hard to be this unhappy for the rest of my life. And I, I, I swear to God, I went, please God, give me anything. Give me absolutely anything to get me out of this. I'll do anything. 
I will shovel shit. I will move to Nebraska. I will move to, like, Siberia. I don't care. Anything you give me, I will take it. Please get me out of this. Well, I want us to talk about, you know, that, that experience that you had that you're literally just talking about and the transition that you took to get out of that. Because yeah. I think for our listeners, that would be a, a great a great lesson, a great story uh, to hear. But let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with more on Spill the Matcha. Renting a car has never been better because renting through Turo equals no more shuttle rides, waiting in line, or boring cars. Get the car you've always wanted. Download the app today. Welcome back to Spill the Macho. This is Arjun Tolson. We're here with Cody Langlois, a civil engineer, scientist, and world traveler. So we left off you talking about basically how you were in a, in a pretty crappy situation. You were very unhappy with your life in general, but you had significant amount of degrees, I think three you said, and you were on track for having a uh, six-figure job, if not well, multi-six-figure job, and things would be going well societally, but not necessarily emotionally or, or just for yourself. You weren't finding happiness with what you were doing. That's a great topic, and I think it's going to relate to our, our final conversation, our, our main conversation here on this episode, um, which is about how masculinity is defined today. I thought this would be good, as I know we have both faced struggles in relation to this. I mean, I think most people have, and I think that discussing our experiences is going to help people along their own journeys. Tell us like what, how you felt, you know, and, and how you moved on from, from where you were during that time period. And how it relates to masculinity. So, you said, so I just want to relay that it wasn't just feeling upset, unhappy, didn't like it. I was dying. I was working 110 hours a week. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I fell asleep behind the wheel three times a week. It wasn't a matter of when or it wasn't a matter of if I was going to get into an accident. It was a matter of when. I lost, I think, 30 or 40 pounds. I was so... I The girl I was dating looked me in the eye and said, I can't have sex with you because you look disgusting. Wow. Like, that's how much my skin was literally just sagging off my face. And it that was... that was her response? She wasn't like... You know, you need to go to the hospital. You need to, you know, I. What can I do to help you? It was like you're disgusting. I don't want to have sex with you. Yes. Um, that sounds toxic. It was. So this is also the same uh, young lady who, if I ever tried to talk to her about anything uh, nerdy, she would say um, she would ask me to actually call it Cinnabon. She's like, oh, like, like if I was like playing Dungeons and Dragons, she'd be like, oh, to say like you were at Cinnabon. Because if you say you're at Dungeons and Dragons, I I probably won't talk to you anymore. Oh my gosh! How did you even? Okay, I don't want to go into the conversation yeah. of how you even <laughs> got with someone like that, but keep yeah, keep going. I mean, um, but anyway, yeah. So kept going with that, and I was so I was sitting there, I was praying to God. I was like, God, literally, literally, give me anything, give me absolutely anything. And I got a phone call from a guy that I knew. Uh, he's originally from Chicago. He moved out to California. He started his own business, then he started a second business, and he was on the way to start a third and fourth at the same time. And he basically called me up, 
And he's like, hey, you know, how are you doing? Happy birthday, whatever. And I was like, honestly, like, I... He called me at such the perfect moment because had anybody else called me at the day, I'd be like, oh, like, I'm fine. Oh, I'm doing good. Like, whatever. But in that moment, it was just such a, like, I'm doing bad. I'm doing awful. I don't know what I'm doing with my life anymore. And he just listened. He said, took a moment and listened. And he was like, man, that sucks. Uh, like, I'm really, really sorry about that. And he didn't provide an answer or a solution or like a, Hey, maybe you should try this or whatever. It was a, just a genuine, like, Hey, I acknowledge that what you're going through is real and that it sucks. And in that moment, I was just like, like, thank you. And we talked a little bit more and then he offered me a job. He's like, listen, I know you're a hard worker. I know you've been going through a lot. How do you feel about a career change? Like, come out here, we'll work something out, and we'll get, we'll try to get rid of some of your debt, and... Was this, so what, what made you tell him the truth, where I, because I know as a person, I could definitely see before you came here that you were the kind of guy to hide all this crap, and yeah. just, you know, not crap, but this emotional baggage, and, and not, you know, show, tell, express. What made you do that with him? I think what really made it come through was that... He wasn't somebody that I was close to. He wasn't really somebody that like I really had a relationship with or had built a foundation or somebody that I was trying to impress. It was just somebody that I had known from the past who just called to wish me a happy birthday. And if I never talked to him again, I wouldn't be at a win or a loss. It would just, you know, be whatever. Yeah. But it was somebody who just cared enough to be like, hey, like, I didn't want to send you a text on your birthday. I wanted to call you and say happy birthday. And just that, that little act of kindness was like, you know what? What do you have to lose? Like, honestly and truly, you're sitting here at 9 p.m. on your birthday getting ready to go to bed. What do you have to lose right now by just talking to this guy for a minute? And he offered me a job. He offered me a career change. And I told him, I was like, like, thank you so much. I don't know. This is a lot. Give me a minute. And he goes, hey, man, take your time. Um, you know, there's not really anybody else I've considered for it. So you've got some time. You let me know. And it sucked because I... <laughs> I was supposed to be going to bed, and I stayed up all night thinking about it. I was exhausted. I mean, of course you did. Yeah, just like, I can't. I was like, this son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just sitting there. I was just like, you know, it's this, it's that. But it's also the, what am I going to tell my family? What am I going to tell, like, this girl that I'm dating? Like, if I if I leave and I go to California, that's the end of this relationship. Good. I mean, uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but it's like, and at that point, it was definitely like, a, okay, like, I understand that this relationship's not healthy. Mm. But I also understand that if I stay in this current predicament, I was so vulnerable and deprived and so reliant on our affection that... I knew that if I didn't get away from her, I would have stayed with her. But it sounds like you were, and again, I think this this all relates to, to masculinity specifically in a yeah. sense. I mean, there's more, more going on than that, but I think it relates because one, part of masculinity, I think as a whole that we're taught, 
at least I think with our generation is like, you know, hold being a man includes not crying or yeah. holding your feelings in. Oh, it's huge. And, you know, huge. all of that. So it's not only that. I was in the construction field. There is no there is no weakness. There is no Yeah. Like you walk that shit off. Mm-hmm. You get dirt on you. You handle your stuff. You're working long hours, good. You're supposed to. That's what guys do. Yeah. And it was incredible like it was just like no you work you bust your ass you provide for your family you're about to start creating a family you need to start creating a family you need to start providing for a future you need to start saving up for all these other things you need to start investing you need to get a better car you need to get a better life better clothes like these are the things you need to do better material life right yeah because it's not it has nothing to do with how you actually are no it's got nothing to do with it like i was dying i literally fell asleep on a highway mm. driving between jobs to provide things that I didn't give a shit about mm-hmm. just because it was so ingrained that I was like, maybe I'll make them proud. Maybe then she'll love me. Maybe then I'll get that promotion that I've been busting my ass for. Maybe I'll be able to, if I get that promotion, then I'll be able to quit the second job. And then I can do this. And then I can finally do what I went to school for. Well, do you think that you had, it was partly because one fear and then fear of like change and doing something different, losing her, etc. But then also because that was just what you were taught to do and you didn't know what else to do or you didn't have someone to, to an example to show you, hey, there's something different that can work. I think what it was is that I... Like, I graduated school early. I came home. I busted all my ass. I did all this stuff. And then to look at it and basically just drop everything. And it's just like everything that I've invested, everything that I've poured into it, and just drop it and say, like, this was wrong. And then to step away yeah. from it. It was such an admission of, in my mind, it was such an admission of failure. Of just looking at your life and knowing that I'm in all this debt, that I helped my mom, that I spent years with this girl, that I spent countless hours at this job, and that I was so purely unhappy that I just was willing to get rid of all aspects and starting over because starting over was better. Starting over at zero was being better than at the negative point that I was. But it's but and you're saying that after though, but it was, sounds like the part of the trouble at the time was like literally you 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 wouldn't do that because you could have done that any time before. I mean, to, to yeah. a degree, of course, you could have made whatever the consequences would have been in the moment, but like you needed that that catalyst of yeah. talking to that guy to to inspire you to to make whatever that well, was. Well, right? that's the thing. Without that catalyst, it wasn't even a catalyst. I didn't even know that was an option. Like, in my mind, it was just like, you just keep going. Hmm. You just keep going because that's what you do. And it was crazy because my father didn't tell me this directly, but I heard it through one of my sisters that when I decided to take that entrepreneurial position, Hmm. my dad called me a fucking idiot. He's like, you're a fucking idiot. And she was like, why? Like, he's unhappy. And and she goes, he goes, yeah, but that's not what you do. When life gets hard, you put your head down, you keep going. And you just deal with it and you just keep going and eventually it gets better. You don't work at a job that you like. Not every job that you work at is something you're going to like. And it was like, even just hearing it, I was like, I was like, 
am I making, like, one, it was, part of me is like, am I making a mistake? Am I wrong? Am I, like, is this what life, like, is meant for me? Because I've always been a hard worker. I've always worked my fucking ass off, and it's always just felt like not enough. But I think for you, looking back at that time and what we're talking about now, it's interesting because, you know, all of those concepts that you're talking about are all basic societal, like, this is what a man should be. Yeah. And if you were taught from the get-go, two things, I think. One, hey, like, back then in high school, like, hey, like, the way that you're being is actually smart, productive, like, this is a this is a good thing, the yeah. way that you are. You probably would have remembered as an adult, or maybe it would have helped you as an adult. And then two, when you were an adult, to, to not feel like you have to hold everything in, and that the only way to do something is to put your head down and work. I mean, we, we both know, we were talking about Elon Musk earlier, right? Uh -huh. um, innovative, creative, etc. I mean, that's that's also what I do. That's what you're you're starting to do. And I think that when you look at it, you're like, okay, well, what if you went, what would Steve Jobs do? I don't know. Or what? I sound like such a nerd. <laughs> like, what would Steve Jobs do? What would Bill Gates do? What would um, Elon Musk? And I can even say for myself now, what would I do as an adult? There's no, there's no way I would be like, sit down and keep working hard at something I hate. And that's yeah. because one, I know that you can, you can do things. Even when it looks horrible, you can find things to do that'll make you happy and make you money. Yeah. And I mean, you know this from, from what you ended up doing. Yeah. Because you, you, you did that job, but then you, you came here, you moved to an entirely different state by yourself, right? Completely by myself. Uh, I literally just loaded up the car. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was sitting at work and I was just like, I hate this. I need to change. And I was just at a point where it's like, is the risk, like if I risk it and I fail and I go down to zero, zero is still better than what I'm at right now. Yeah. So why not risk it? And I called him up and I said, I'll put in my two weeks tomorrow. And he's like, sounds good. And I loaded up my car. I loaded up my 2005 Chrysler Sebring <laughs> with everything that I owned. I couldn't see out of three of the windows and I just drove. I drove across the country and but it, you were probably happier the second you left. I was assuming. terrified. No, it was the scariest thing I have ever done in my entire life driving across the country and my hands were on the wheel. I couldn't sleep the entire time because the whole time I'm like, what am I doing? What the fuck am I doing? You are literally, I am literally driving away from a safe future. I'm literally right now driving away. I don't have health insurance anymore. Yeah. I don't know. My 401k doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Like all this shit is just gone but did right you, now. Did you, I mean, even though it's terrifying cause they're not, you know, emotions you can have you have to have, yeah. you know, how do I say this? They're not, they're emotions that you can have at the same time. And I think, and I'm, I'm just curious because in your experience, but were you just, ha were you even like still fighting that idea of like, okay, this is still better. I would honestly, honestly and truly, I would say I fought that feeling for about six months for about six months after I quit. It was a constant thing of like, I sh maybe I should just go back. Maybe I should just go back. And there was sleeping like I started sleeping, started eating, I started getting my color back, started going down a little bit, started, you know, hey, you know, life's okay, life's okay, like, you know, you're still working, you're still doing this, it's different, but it's still okay. Yeah. But there was still, like, that nag of, like, okay, but maybe you should go back, but maybe you should go back. She'll still take you back. That job will still take you back. Wow. That life will still take you back. So maybe you should, maybe you should, maybe you should. And then, honestly, one day... It didn't. The next day it did. 
But then the next two days it didn't. <laughs> and it was just less and less. And it was incredible because I start like I had based my entire life of I'm an engineer, I'm so and so's boyfriend, I this is what I am to somebody else. And the same guy who hired me was like, Hey, like, I see that you're doing better. I wanna ask you a question. What do you want to be when you look in the mirror? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes like, what do you want to be? Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be people? Like, when people look at you, what do you want them to see? What do you really want? Like, what do you, what, like, name something you like to do. And I was like, oh, when I was with so-and-so. And he's like, no, 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 no. What do you like to do? And I looked him right back, right in the eye, which is the first time I looked him in the eye in months. And I said, honestly, I don't know. Everything had been so based off like, oh, well, like she'll like this or like my mom would like if I did this or it's better for, for my career if I do this. What do you want to do? And I didn't know. And he goes, okay, so here's what you got to do. Imagine future you. Don't think about his job. Don't think about whatever else. Imagine what future you looks like, what future you feels like, what future you does whether they speak multiple languages, reads, bangs, hookers, you know, whatever. <laughs> Think about it, what they do mm. and how he looks. And then do the things that he would do to get to that point. And if you do that, you will become the man that you are proud of. And if you become something you're proud of, then you can sell you. That's good advice. It was, it literally changed my life. Yeah. Changed my entire life. I mean, it sounded, it really is sound advice. I mean, yeah. it relates really to visualization. It was, so it was like, okay. Like at this point, I mean, I was 6'5", 100, maybe 70 or 80 pounds at this point. Oh. I was skinny, really skinny. I wanted to be somebody that I looked in the mirror and was like, no, like he's a fit looking dude. What do fit dudes do? They eat right. They don't drink as much. I was drinking way too much. They work out. Okay. Let's start looking at workout regimens. Let's start yeah. looking at this, this, and that. Because you already have this picture of yourself. You already see the end point. But when you see it and you visualize it, you start to feel those rewards. And when you feel those rewards, you're like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm fighting for. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm working towards. That's the kind of money I want to make. But do I want to make that kind of money sitting behind a desk all day waiting for Greg, who's been doing this for 30 years, to retire so I can take his job? No. Yeah. No. I want to do something that's going to change the world. Okay, change the world how? Because I want to do something that saves the world. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. How? Get more specific, more specific. Yep. This isn't, though, mind you, this has been years in the making. This isn't something that you can look at yourself and decide because in this moment, I had no idea who I was without the girl, the parents, the family, and the job. I had no idea who I was without those four things. And now all four of those were gone and I was starting over at, I have no idea. And then you figure it out. I mean, it's so crazy because you, I, we had, we had similar experiences in the sense of of that that literal that moment of like visualization that catalyst but 
I mean, mine was an inner catalyst and yours was, you know, having that someone say that, but having, you know, challenging you mm -hmm. and then you going forward. And I mean, for me, I, I did that at 17 when over something much smaller with having, not having, basically, I feel like if I hadn't done what I did early on, I would have probably been more like where you were. Because as a summarized version, when I was 17, I, I was going to soccer for college. And that's what I had been doing, like training for the entire, you know, 10 years of my life or 15 years of my life. And I didn't get into the D1 school I wanted to. And so I decided, okay, well, I can either go to this D2 school or I can go to this college in California and enjoy California, the Southern California, obviously. But, you know, from that point on, I decided, okay, well, I'm, I'm done with soccer. I don't have to train anymore. I don't have to spend every waking moment doing soccer, playing soccer, mm -hmm. being great at soccer. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to finish my first book since I never finished a book. I'm going to do something I love, do something that would make me feel good. And I, but it took me like, you know, it took me back then a couple of weeks to figure out that, you know, especially at 17, like that's how I felt mm -hmm. and that's what I needed to do. Eventually did it and it made me happy every day that I wrote and did the thing that was actually my passion. I became a better student just because I was doing like my mm -hmm. passion. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's 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 interesting because beforehand I didn't find any interest in education, like really. Then immediately, like after, I just was like, you know what, I'm going to college already, so I'm not, I don't have to worry about going to college. I was like, oh, that's interesting. School is actually interesting now. Yeah. And I'm I love I want to go back to my room instead of playing sports or hanging out with my friends and talking about chicks and everything. It was like, oh, let me go back and write in my room. And then I kept getting praise, like my mom and my family. And then like friends would be like, wow, you're writing a book. That's really cool. And I started feeling good because I had validation for myself. I had praise from other people as well too, which was cool. And I was doing something that I always wanted to do and being going towards that person I'd always wanted to be, right? And I feel like if I had not done that, because I still went to college thinking I was going to be a lawyer. Like, you knowing me right now, imagine if I had been a lawyer. Like how much of a loss that probably would have been. Holy shit. You know? And that's only because all I knew how to do, even though my family, like they have been my last generation into had, had they been successful. My dad was a dentist, mom's a lawyer, uncles are doctors, lawyers, judges. My grandfather was a physical therapist. My grandmother was the head of the NAACP in New England. Um, they were all like pretty successful people to a degree, but they were all doctors and lawyers and entertainment, what entertainment, uh, entrepreneurship was all like not taboo, but it was like, I don't understand what you're doing. And so it wasn't as extreme as like what you dealt with in terms of like, what are you, this is crazy. It was just like, okay, well, since we don't know what you're doing, it's probably dumb because we are successful and you know, this isn't, this isn't something we're used to and I don't know how to relate to this. So, mm -hmm. you know, what are you doing? And it's kind of dumb, right? So, I mean, but imagine, like, like I said, again, if I had just become and been a lawyer, had the girlfriend literally, um, and I had, I had a toxic girlfriend who would down everything I did. And like I wrote, when I finished my first book and then started re-editing it to get it republished re by a big publisher, uh, she would constantly make me feel like everything I did was nothing. Like, hey, I, I just I just went to this publisher. They gave me a, I'm just saying an example, they gave me like a $20,000 down payment on this. Oh, okay. Like that was her response. Like for every single thing I did. And I mean, like, this is the person that you spend most of your time with. I mean, you know, you yeah. know, from your experience, yeah. it's, it is not healthy. It's not, it's not healthy. And it's also not the best. You're, you're literally settling yeah. and settling for, for crap. But that's the thing. You're settling at 17. That was 19. Well, not, yeah, 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 fucking, yeah. You're 19. Yeah. yeah. Why are you settling? Yeah. No, but you, but you did that. Oh, I totally yeah, did it. And you did it. I did for, it at what? 20, I did it at 25. Yeah. And you did it for a couple more years. Though. Yeah. And it was just like. No, 
no. <laughs> no, I'm but, not doing this. But no one, it's crazy, and I think this too, because no one teaches, still I think this is the same, no one teaches the stuff that we're talking about. Like, you don't oh, learn no, this stuff absolutely in school. Not. Whether it's, well, fault one, they think they should be teaching about relationships in, in, in school, not just sex education, but like relationship education. Yeah. And then two, entrepreneurship, I think as a whole, should be like a class. Not just economics, not because imagine, like again, because if I if I taught a class on entrepreneurship, which I have, but in high school, for example, oh, it'd be insane. I would have been like, hey, dude, like, and I would have used you as a specific example, been like, you know, what groups do you fit in? And I would have said, literally, so you're telling me in business that if you start, if you created a startup or you worked at a startup, I'd be able to send you to this group, to that group, to this group, and you'd be able to write, connect the three, and you would see things that people who stick in one group don't see because they're only sticking in one group. Yep. All of these positive, productive things you didn't even you weren't even aware of. It sounds like, basically, until you left and then went through this whole six month process later later on that you were talking about, right? It was it was so that was in high school. So I went through all of college. I went through yeah seven years of college, mm -hmm. and then two years of engineering, whatever, and then another six months. So that's. I don't know, ten, almost 10 years later Yeah. that realizing, hey, you remember this thing you used to do in high school? We'll pay you to do that. And it's like, oh, fucking cool. I wish I would have known that 10 yeah. fucking years yeah. ago. And that's what's so crazy. We don't teach any of the stuff we just talked about. Like literally no. not one thing we have talked about does Zero. anyone teach. And what's also, I guess, insane to me is that I never had a teacher even being in a similar position as you, like jumping groups. That was like, you know, it's really cool how you jump groups. Huh? Like how you're a part of multiple groups. And I remember uh -huh. we had a day in my school where this this speaker came in, spoke to the entire school, and at the end of it, she was like, you guys should do this diversity thing. Like, don't sit at, and make people realize, hey, you're sitting at the same table. That day, she challenged everyone, and everyone, like, moved, like, the American side and the, the from Asia side basically joined yeah. together for a day. And then the next day, it was back to normal. Nothing had changed. Huh? It's interesting because I think people don't like i think you still did it really early like relatively i think you know oh, i did yeah. it at 17 you did it at 25 and i think taking that jump because that's what middle life crisis is oftentimes and i again like being having been um you know hired i'd say hundreds of people like probably 500 plus people in over nine years now uh and then also talking in my my last episode to emily who you've spoken uh -huh. to um we we talked about why people are unhappy in their jobs and it's it's the majority of people it's i can't remember when i had my company but my internship company but it was like it was like something like 70 percent of people maybe more are unhappy in their jobs and it's and i think it was it's mostly because they're just not educated they don't they don't know that you can do things that you can enjoy and also make money and survive and like do well as well you know, I mean, you were talking about like losing stability for 1K, this and that. I mean, right now we're talking about you getting a job and moving on and you getting like working with a startup potentially or mm -hmm. nonprofits, you know, et cetera, who are changing the world and doing things. And you're here in California having moved yep. what, four years, four years later, two years later, two years later. So two, yeah. yeah, two years later. Okay. So two years later, you have made progress as a person. I mean, you do yoga. I do lots of yoga. I've read, I think in the last two years, I've probably read 50 books. Um, I mean, you've read the best book. Yes, I've read best your books. books. Yes, and I'm still very upset that you're not <laughs> writing a third, sir. My nerd fandom is very upset with you. It's 
part of the only uh, reason I still talk to you. Oh, I know. I trying to encourage you to finish, I know. I need to sir. Another book. But, I mean, yeah. I think it's great how you've progressed from where you are. And I think the story that you're telling is, um, I mean, is inspiring. And I think more people should hear it. So I'm glad that we had this conversation. Yeah, that's what I'm here for, man. And, um, I mean, yeah, there's, this was a hot topic this year generally. I mean, again, like masculinity as a whole, but also just taking risks jumping forward, being emotionally happy, and not necessarily associating yourself with validity from, validity from material objects. Um, but, you know, again, great conversation. Uh, let's cut to break for a second, and we'll be right back. Welcome back again to Spill the Matcha. I'm RJ Tolson. Before we wrap up, we need to hit our random curious question of the day. Knowledge is truly power, so I think we both have discussed that quite a bit here. I mean, if we had been aware, even younger at my age and even again younger at your age, we may not have had to go through all of the strife that we just talked about. Um, so, for this episode, if humans are still evolving, then what are some of the features that are evolving? Let's discuss it. Are you talking physical, mental, emotional? It can be... I would say stay away from emotional for this one. Okay. More focused on on physical, genetic. Um, what do you think? Does this correlate back to knowledge is power? Or is this just an overlap? No, it's just... I mean, it's... it's what do you think? I mean, you know, are humans evolving? And specifically, what I mean, what features? The, what's it? The four-minute mile got broke. The fastest time doing a marathon just got broke. Doing 100-mile um, runs, that record just got broke. 100-mile runs? Yeah. That's People insane. are doing, yeah, they're, it's absolutely insane. People are breaking stuff all the time, breaking new limits, new laws. It is <laughs> new laws. Hey man, I break I mean, new laws all the yeah. time. Uh, <laughs> but so I, you th- okay. I think that the biggest thing that humans are evolving is just the ability to hope. Because that's essentially what it is. Is that you're going out and you're tr- like the guy who ran the four minute mile for the first time. Did he have any scientific proof or backing or anything? No. Hmm. But he hoped that if he worked hard enough and then he put his heart and soul into it and it was something that he wanted to really truly do, that he would do it. And that's what's happening with all these entrepreneurs, with Zuckerberg. Bezos with Musk, whether or not you like them or not, they have changed the world. No matter what. I think, you know, I think a combination, I mean, for the track or for, it was a track? I'm assuming it was a track. So for the guy in track, I mean, obviously he had the genetics as well too, which I think to a certain extent, but at the same time, I mean, it doesn't matter whether you have talent or you're a genius or you're a prodigy or whatever. Um, or if you're if you're not, and it, and it takes longer for you to learn things than a genius does, it still requires hard work and willpower. At the end of the day, I've always believed that someone who works hard 
and maybe a slower learner can always beat a genius that doesn't try. And mm-hmm. I say that, I mean, you can still beat a genius that does try. It just, it takes a lot of hard work. I always believe that. And I mean, it's... Yeah, but that's the thing is that I don't want to get caught up just like we talked about before of not like, okay, just put your head down and work and work hard enough yeah. and you'll get it. But it is the, no, like, this is truly what I believe mm-hmm. and I will not quit. Because that, above anything else, is what makes a human human. And it, But a part of that too is, in, in what you're saying is, it's not just about, hey, like, I want to do it this one way. It's like, I will do anything it takes to get to my goal. And part of that is looking at different avenues where this may not be working out. Hey, I'm going to do this because and it may be even harder, but I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to continue to work hard. And that's what I think is a good lesson as well from, from your story specifically about, you know, how you put your head down and kept doing this one path. Part of that, again, is that I'm going to achieve, like in your case, it's like, I'm going to get happiness. Like I'm going to live a happy life, right? Like I want to be happy. Even if I don't know how to do that, I'm going to try everything I can to, to make that happen. Instead of just doing the same thing people keep telling me, that's not making me happy, right? Repetition where you have the same results, expecting something different is insanity. Like that's what is insanity is in this case. Right. So, I mean, you know, even physically though, I think my example was going to be, um, which I love, by the way, I love the emotional component of of, of it. Uh, I know for, I don't want to say for a fact, but appendicitis, like Mm -hmm. the appendix, it's being, it's shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, you know, and I think it's eventually going out of our body. If I'm not mistaken, I think we used it originally to digest like wood bark or something like that. Sounds delicious. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I think what it was originally for, but I know Pinky toe's on its way out too. Is it? Oh yeah. My pinky toe. Oh, not a pinky finger, pinky toe. My pinky toe's almost gone. It's like this. It's nothing. Are you sure that's not just a deformity? I'm beautiful. (laughs) I mean, that wasn't the question there, but you know, you brought that up. Yeah. So yeah. Good. Inner beauty. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so let me read the answer. Um, a short list of features of some features can include lactose intolerant. I can't believe I didn't just say that. I mean, I'm lactose intolerant, literally, but humans are evolving to be lactose intolerant. Um, high altitude adaptation, alcohol flush reaction, which I think the stereotype of that is like Asian flush or something. Oh, if interesting. I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, appendix elimination. Because if you think about it, though, going back actually to the alcohol, alcohol is poison for us. So it is, but if you also think about it as a um, attractive quality, somebody is going to choose a non-alcohol drinker over a alcoholic. True. I mean, those are extreme. Most of the time, yeah, those are extreme cases, and there's few and far between, you know, whatever. But yeah, but if you're looking at what would be better overall, yes, yes. I would, I would definitely agree. Um, It says appendix elimination, so I, I did say that absence of wisdom teeth. Okay. Dis- disappearance of the Y chromosome, which is, I think, what's in men, if I'm not mistaken, or is it in women? Disappearance of the Y chromosome. No, it's men. Women are XX. XX, yeah, okay. You're right. Um, and a, de- a, a decrease in the proportion of people who suffer from Alzheimer's and asthma. Oh, well, that's good. Which is awesome. I mean, I'm not a part of that. I still have asthma. I don't know what's happening with me. But, I mean. I mean, that's just got to be more of an environmental factor than anything. I mean, Alzheimer's though, that's, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, that, that's great. I'm, mean, that's scary, but also, and I know if, also I should have said this too is, uh, blood types. So the original blood type is, I think 
A, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, A is the primary. Then there's like A, B, and then there's O. Yeah, but A came... So I know the order is A... If A is first, the order is A, B, A, B, uh, O, and then A, B, if I'm not mistaken. Or it's okay. A, B, O. So it's probably A, B, O, because that would make sense because it's a completely different letter. But I know I may be negative, which is like the taker. Mm -hmm. We can only take... Um, we take from anyone... Yeah, the universal receiver. Yeah, universal receiver, thank you. And then I was the universal donor. Um, mm -hmm. I know that's been a, a recent adaptation because, or evolution, because that didn't exist. Literally, the blood type did not exist. I think uh, O has only existed for a couple thousand years or something like that. Nice. A, B, same thing, etc. So I actually always thought it would be interesting to see like how our blood types affect like what diseases you're more likely to get. If I looked up certain nutritional um regimens based on like blood type and all that kind of stuff it's kind of interesting yeah. yeah all right man well thanks for being on this episode of spill the matcha i appreciate it i hope you enjoyed our our sesh our chill sesh yeah it's always a pleasure let me know when you want to come back and you know so i can help you boost your ratings <laughs> well i want to come back to my show so that you no, when you want me, me to come back on oh, your show, okay. because you know sense. you bore your guests so much that so I'll come oh, in, be wow. all, "Hey, how you yeah. doing? You're looking great today. I like your pinky toes too. You're beautiful on the outside so saying, and the inside." So you're saying you're, you're a guest host? Is that is that what you're trying to say here? I was going to say co-host. I was going to say co-host. Oh, I see. Co-host. Guest co. Guest co. Co-host. Okay. 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 We'll talk about this. <laughs> all right. All right. Sounds good. Well, hopefully uh, the audience likes you, Cody, and. Uh, <laughs> so much shade throw in so much shade I love the terminology here that you're using now. sir very, are you a willow because you throw in so much you're, shade you're very uh, knowledgeable about you're so diverse Cody Chicago yes me and my day. Oh, shut up RJ <laughs> <laughs> alright well I, I'm glad you were here we had a great conversation I appreciate the time I don't know we're shaking hands here and uh <laughs> <laughs> this, this is it. Let's go drink. All right. <laughs> All right. Later, buddy. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening to Spill the Matcha with me, RJ Tolson. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at RJ Tolson. Spill the Matcha is a Capitor Studios original podcast. The show is executive produced by RJ Tolson and produced by Kevin E. Wood. Download the Burstout app today and check out all of our other inspiring and informative original shows and podcasts.